0: all right prayer all earthly things with earth will fade away But prayer grasps eternity but i'm convinced of this god does not hear prayer he hears desperate prayer prayer is not a position whether you knees. prayer is not a position it's a disposition you get to the place where you rather sweat you would rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence rather God whisper a secret into your heart that breaks you and somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. Um, grateful for all of our dads in the room for sure. I don't know if my dad's watching this morning, but I have not told him happy Father's Day. So dad, uh, happy Father's Day, uh, just in case you're worshiping uh, with us this morning. Uh, Also, as you can tell, this is happy day before vacation Bible school day. Woo! Uh, you can see behind me uh, our team has been preparing and uh, of course Courtney's had a lot of great help as they're prepping for VBS this week and so we're excited uh, for what the Lord's going to do here uh, in our church and in our community as we uh, as we host vacation Bible school and uh, of course we're just uh, we're continuing to seek God this summer as he shows us some awesome things hey if you have your Bible you can open it to Matthew chapter number six. Matthew chapter number six. We're going to continue in a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Prayer, Grasp God. Uh, as you guessed it from the title, uh, this is a series about one of the most important components of a believer's life. It's a series on prayer. We believe as Christians that our power uh, is provided through prayer. And so we're spending several weeks talking about. Uh, What prayer is and what it means for us to spend time with the Lord. So uh, in this series, the first thing we did was we answered the question, what is prayer? And really, we summed it up with one word. That word was communication. Prayer is really just us talking to God. Just like any other relationship that we have, it will not be healthy. It will not be growing. It certainly will not be close if we never talk to each other. And the reason is simple. There is no relation without communication. And so we believe prayer is us communicating or talking with God. The next thing we did was we answered the question important. All right, I know what prayer is. It's me and God talking. Great. Why is it important for me to talk to God? And that was a simple answer as well, because prayer is our power source for life. Just like anything else that requires power to operate or to accomplish the purpose in which it was created for, so does the believer, the follower of Jesus, need the power of God unleashed in their lives so that we can do what God has planned, what he has purposed, what he has created us to do. And so it's our power source. We need to pray well, this morning, we're going to answer another question. If we know what prayer is and why prayer is important, then the next logical question would be, how do we do it? How do I pray. Well, I don't know about you, but anytime that I want to learn something new, it helps me to see someone else do it. As a matter of fact, I can think of numerous examples in my life where watching someone else has helped me that I've wanted to do. Whether it was golf and watching the masters and checking out the pros and where they put the ball and how they complete their swing and what's their grip. Now, I'm not ready for the masters yet, but It helps watching the pros do it. Or when I was learning how to wakeboard, right? I remember watching someone else do it, how they held the rope, where'd they position the board, what way did they turn it when they came out of the water, all those kind of things, right? It helped me watching someone else do it. I got to play some disc golf yesterday. Our men were coming back from the Gridiron Men's Conference and a group of us stayed back in Huntsville for a few hours and played one of the local courses there. And to be honest with you, just watching those other guys that I was playing with helped me work on some things that I was trying to do better in my own disc golf game. And so watching people do things helps me. I could list several other things, numerous YouTube videos that have been watched in order to learn how to do something better. Watching someone else do something helps us learn how to do it. Well, you see where I'm going here, right? Relationship with Jesus can be the same way. Following him can be difficult when we don't know what to do. But what happens when we see it modeled For us, I think about a recent conversation I had with a group of guys that I eat breakfast with on most Fridays. A little shout out, real quick, to the humble beginnings. I don't know if any humble beginnings are in here. Give me a shout out back. Yay! Yes! 8 a.m. gave me zilch, by the way. I'm very disappointed in them. And so I'm going to. I'm gonna let them know. Some of my humble beginnings gave me a shout out uh, this morning. Anyway, uh, we were talking uh, just the other day about the the location of a new place in Tupelo. And as we were talking about it, here's what they were saying. They were like, well, it's close to Crosstown. And I remember going, I have no idea what Crosstown is. And so that that doesn't really help me any. Uh, It's by the old post office. You know, I don't even know where the new post office is, so I'm not sure uh, where the old post office is until finally I just got out my phone and I opened up the maps and I actually looked at where the place was they were talking about. Well, friends, for me, prayer is just like that. It's simple, but it helps when we can actually see it done. People can describe it to you, they can tell you how to do it, they can even tell you why it's good for you, but it's so much easier when we have a model, when we have someone to show us how to do it. Well, the good news is for us today, Jesus does exactly that. He doesn't just tell us to pray or even just describe how to pray. He doesn't just simply tell us why it's good for us. He models prayer for all of his disciples. Matter of fact, look at how he told those earliest disciples in Matthew chapter 6 how to pray. It begins in verse number nine, just after he describes some things not to do about prayer, his disciples ask him a question, how do we pray? And Jesus says, pray then this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, forgive, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of your Bibles may include another phrase from other manuscripts at the end of verse 13 that reads like this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, this is a common prayer. Most people have heard this prayer, read this prayer. Many people have this prayer memorized. You could say the Lord's Prayer. It's how we've designated it. You could say it back to us. As a matter of fact, I grew up Catholic when I was a kid, and we didn't call it the Lord's Prayer in my house. We called it the Our Father, because that's how it started out, right? And one of the earliest things I did in in, in early Catholic I memorized the Lord's Prayer. But how many of us have really examined what Jesus shares there and why it's important for us as a model for prayer. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to show you four things that Jesus models for us that are important for us to remember when we pray. Here's the first one. When we pray, we should remember to spend time praising God. When we pray, Not if, but when, right? Followers of Jesus, we know the importance of prayer. When we pray, we should remember to spend time praising God. This is exactly how Jesus opens up his prayer that he teaches his disciples. He says, pray then like this, back in verse nine, our Father in heaven, hallowed or hallowed be your name. Jesus begins his prayer by calling God our Father. Now I wanna be, um, I planned for us to go through a series on prayer. I did not plan that on Father's Day we would open up the words of Jesus to the phrase, our Father. But God knowing better than me that this is exactly where we would be today, we get to think about what it means when Jesus prayed our Father. In fact, Jesus used the title Father in all of his prayers except for one. It was his prayer on the cross. Now, the text uses the Greek word for father, but it's likely that Jesus used the Arabic word, mainly because the language that most Palestinian Jews commonly spoke was Arabic. Now, the word for father in Arabic would be the word Abba. You may have heard this word in other portions of the New Testament as describing God. Now, why is it significant to think of Abba rather than the Greek word? Well, it's because the Arabic word Abba carries more of an intimate and personal. Abba is the equivalent of saying the word daddy in English. I don't know how many of you. Remember the days when your child first spoke their, you know their, their earliest words. But I I would guarantee that if you're a dad in the room this morning, you will never forget the first time you heard "dad" or "daddy" or "dada" or whatever it was that your kid said. Right? The intimacy of knowing that that child belonged to you, and they're calling out to you in such an intimate way. They will only have one "dada," and that is you that's the equivalent of what Jesus is saying as he talks about God it's a representation of the close relationship that we have with God our father our daddy it's like the relationship that children have with their dads this is important for us to realize when it comes to how we pray when we address God with an attitude of a child looking toward their body. now here's a good place to pause for a moment because some of you may hear the phrase, our father, and think of it negatively because your earthly father maybe wasn't the hero that other peoples describe when they talk about their dad. Maybe you had a bad experience. Maybe you had a bad dad. That's unfortunate. But can I tell you something? I want to break that mold for you. When we get to call God our father, our daddy, he is not like an earthly dad, even the best of earthly dads. He's way beyond that. God is our perfect Daddy, And we get to address him with an attitude of a child looking toward their perfect daddy. As a matter of fact, the word itself gives us a picture of how we come to God and what God is like when we do. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Addressing God as our father means the end of fear. Listen, we don't come to him like we might would uh, a, a a dad that is is, a, uh, is 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 overly judgmental or or harsh. We get to come to him like a dad who loves us beyond all measures. We don't come to him like a god that many other religions do, thinking that he will strike them down or disown them or be hurtful to them. No, no, no. He's our daddy, open arms, lovingly waiting for us to address him as our father. Addressing God as our father settles uncertainties and gives us hope. You say, Danny, why? Because we can rely on our perfect daddy. This is why Jesus would remind his followers, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Addressing him as father settles any uncertainties and gives hope because we can rely on him. Addressing God as our father can dispel loneliness. Even if everyone else leaves us or forsakes us, our father, our heavenly perfect daddy, never will. Addressing God as our father can rid us of selfishness. You say, Danny, what do you mean? He is our Father. You know there's no singular personal pronoun in the entire prayer that Jesus models. Why? Because we're a family in this together. We're not alone in this fight for the world. We are one in Christ. Addressing God as our Father settles the matter of resources, Jesus says, our Father in heaven. Why is that significant? Because he can provide us with every resource we will ever need to accomplish his every purpose. I love how the Apostle Paul described this in Ephesians 1, 3. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. His resources, that is our Father. Addressing God as our father settles the matter of obedience. God tells us plenty of times to honor our fathers and mothers, but even more so. If Jesus was willing to come and do the will of his father, how much more should we? Obedience marks our relationship with God. Jesus said in Matthew 12, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother, right? It's those who obey who are part of his family. Addressing God as our father displays God's love and mercy toward us. Our Father, like the best of fathers provides us with love and mercy even when we are disobedient. Luke 15 tells the entire story of a son who is so wayward, so far, so wicked that you would think nobody would take him back in. But when he comes back to his father, he is there with open arms. Friends, that's our father. That's what it means. That's what we get to call upon. That's the relationship that he to have as we call out to a perfect heavenly daddy. There may be no better way to address God than as our Father. What a great way to begin our prayers to God by praising him as our Father. But Jesus also puts into perspective the Father that we get to pray to. He uses the phrase, hallowed be your name. God's name is hallowed, or as the New Living Translation puts it, to be kept holy. His name is Holy. Now, the phrase, your name, is probably more important than we think about today. Names used to have more meaning and purpose than maybe they do now, especially the name of God. His name represents not just a title, but it represents all that he is. His character, his plan, his will. You don't believe me? Listen to this from Exodus. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. He proclaimed his own name. You ready? Here's what he said. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. It was more than just a title when God proclaimed his name. It was not simply God, it was all the characteristics that God has. We love God, not simply because of his name, but because of all that his name represents. Here's what the psalmist wrote in 9 verse 10, And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalmist also put it this way in 717, I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness and praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Psalm 27, the psalmist wrote, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Jesus meant way more than simply your name as a title. He spoke of the fullness of God's As a matter of fact, the Old Testament is filled with way more names than just the name God. Why? Because there were so many things that needed to be used to describe who he actually was. Whether it was Elohim, the creator God, or El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth, or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider, or Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. We could go on and on and on, but I'm going to be honest with you, when Jesus is making this prayer, he really is the best representation. Of the name of God. Everything he did was to show us what God is like. As a matter of fact, here's what he said in John 17:6: Manifested your name to the people that you gave me. I have manifested your name. Was Jesus saying that he just claimed the name of God? No. He's saying, I've shown them everything that comes with your name, and his name is Holy. Jesus is telling God in this prayer how holy, how unique, how set apart, how awesome. Any other incredible honoring word that you can use to describe God, that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying when we pray, we should remember in our prayers to praise the one who deserves it above all things because his name is holy. Listen, we do that in so many ways. We make sure his name is holy it's hallowed when we acknowledge that he exists when we have true knowledge of him when we are aware of his presence in our life when we conform to his will when we attract other people to him that list could go on and oh in fact that's why the tag is included at the end of verse 13 in this prayer listen the earliest manuscripts don't have it maybe it's not a part of the original text that might be why it's not in your Bible but whether it should be there or not it is still true of God here's what it says for your is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Jesus is praising the one who deserves it above all others, friends, every day. It should be our pleasure to spend time with God, praising his name. Why? He is our father. His name is holy and perfect. It is hallowed. He gives us our daily bread. He provides for all that we need. He forgives our sin. He delivers us from evil. He is more than any of our words can ever describe. He is our father in heaven and hallowed be your name. Praise God. Our prayers should certainly include our praises of God. Let me show you that Jesus models for us. When we pray, we should remember to make our request known to God. Not only should we remember to praise him, that is obvious in all that we do, but when we pray, we should also remember to make our requests known to God. He offers us the opportunity to call out to our Father. This is why Jesus would go on in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he doing? He's requesting God's will be done. He says, give us this day our daily bread. What's he requesting? He's requesting provision for the day. He says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. What's he praying? He's requesting forgiveness for sins. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's he doing? He's requesting deliverance from temptation and evil. Think about it. Jesus made requests. He prayed for our debts. He prayed for our deliverance. He's encouraging us to make requests of God. Our prayers should include our requests. Listen, the Bible's clear that we can make requests of God. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, ask your requests of God. Listen, in this prayer, Jesus prays for some massive things like his kingdom to come, right? His will to be done. That's world-altering type of prayers, right? But he also prays simple, essential, basic things such as give us this day our daily bread. He does two things that I think are significant, significant as a model for us. He prays for both physical and spiritual. You might read this verse and think, Danny, I don't need anything to eat today. Why should we pray uh, for daily bread when we have such an abundance of it everywhere, everywhere? Well, you may have that, but not everybody does. And certainly the crowd that Jesus was teaching at this time didn't. But here's what I think is more important. It's not simply about those specific words. What it's about is physical and spiritual needs. God can provide everything that we need, and he alone can do it. That's why we make requests. Why? Because prayer is us ultimately being dependent on God for everything. Friend, how dependent are you on Jesus? And if you're not, can I remind you of something? You are, (laughs) even if you forget it. Jesus prayed for God's will to be done, that was spiritual, but he also prayed for food, that was physical. He prayed for forgiveness, that was spiritual, but he also prayed physical. He takes the time to make requests of God. Have you asked him to take care of you? Have you made requests of him for others who need him to take care of them? How often do you go to God and make requests of him? I have heard it a million times. We've mentioned it here. I talked to somebody else about it just this week. But there's that old question that still reigns true. What if you only had today what you thank God for yesterday, right? Or what if you only had today what you asked Jesus for yesterday? What if that was true? What about your request? What would you actually have? Friend, if it's been a while since you've went before our Father who is holy and presented your request to Him because you are ultimately dependent on Him for all things, if it's been a while, today might be a good day for you to begin to reconnect with the God who loves us. Jesus makes requests of God in his we. Let me show you the third thing that Jesus models for us. When we pray, we should certainly remember his praise and we should certainly make our requests to him. But when we pray, we should remember to admit our sins to God and ask for forgiveness. You say, Danny, what do you mean? We should confess our failures before the one who can cleanse us from all sin. Jesus says, look back at verse 12, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word for debts, also interesting that Jesus prays this way because he had no sin, but once again, it's a model for us. The word for debts means one's due or something owed. Now, I want to pause here for a moment as well, because you may not know this. You may be in here this morning. It's never actually clicked for you, but I want to help you. Every person ever born on the face of this planet has their life. We have debts that we owe to God that we don't have the money to make payments for. We owe a debt that we cannot fix. But thankfully, Jesus paid the debt that we could not pay. The only way for our sins to be covered. The only way for our sins to be canceled was for a perfect sacrifice to be made on our behalf. We couldn't do it, but Jesus could. And so he laid down his life so that our debts could be paid. Now friend, listen to me. If you don't know Jesus this morning and you leave out of here and your life ends, you will meet a place of eternal torment that you do not want to go because your debt and my debt that's caused by sin is owed to God. And you know what that penalty is that we owe? It's death. And you know what that means if you don't know Jesus? It means you spend an eternity in hell, sense of your sin, and you pay that debt through your death in an eternal place of torment. But you don't have to stay that way. Instead, you can give your life to Jesus, and you can allow him to take your place, and he will give you new life right here, right now, today, friend. Your debts can be paid. Your debts have been paid. His name is Jesus. Will you surrender your life to him? And so Jesus says, forgive us our debts What he means is our sins, right? We owe a debt to God, our sins that Jesus had to pay for with his life. But what's interesting about this prayer is it's not to people who don't follow Jesus. This prayer is modeled for those who do. This prayer is modeled for those who've been forgiven by Jesus of their sin debt that separates them from God. So what's Jesus saying? Well, he's looking at his followers, and he's still telling They need to ask God for forgiveness when they obey him daily in this life. Even though we're followers of Jesus, there are still times that we make mistakes. Amen? Okay, three of you still make mistakes after you met Jesus. <laughs> Let me tell you what John says about that in 1 John chapter 1. You ready? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know what that is in modern language? You're a liar if you say you have no sin. Of course, we still make mistakes and we still sin. But John goes on. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, Danny, when I got saved, Jesus canceled all my sins. Yes, positionally, you've been saved by Jesus so that you can spend eternity with God forever in a place called heaven, and it's a beautiful thing. You are part of the family of God, but you're today and you still sin and you still make mistakes. The power of sin, right, the penalty of sin Those have both been broken, but the presence of sin is still around us all the time. And when we falter, when we fail, when we make a mistake, it is our responsibility to go before God and admit our failure and say, I'm sorry, I'm confessing this. You know what the word confess means in the New Testament? It means to agree with God. You know what we're saying? When we confess our sin before God, we're saying, God, we agree This is wrong. This is bad. We don't want it. Help us. Cleanse us. Make us better so that we won't live that way anymore. Friend, when's the last time you fell before God and confessed your sin before him? There's a story in John chapter 13 where Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. It's during the time when they celebrated the last times with Jesus for his crucifixion. But anyway, he's walking through washing all the feet of his disciples until he comes to one guy. Anybody want to guess who it was? Peter. That's right. It was always Peter, by the way. By the way, if I was one of the disciples in the New Testament, it wouldn't have been Peter. It would have been Danny. Anybody else with me on that? He comes to Peter and Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? In other words, what are you thinking? All right? And Jesus said, what, am I, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Like Jesus, you're the son of God. You're not gonna touch my nasty feet. That's not happening. And Jesus said to him, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. You know what Peter was saying? Jesus, it's not just my feet that are dirty. It's everything that's dirty. You gotta wash all of me. But listen to what Jesus says back to him. He said, the one who has bathed Does not need to wash, except for his feet, completely clean. You know what he was telling him? He was giving us a picture of salvation. He was saying, hey, if you give your life to me, you have been washed clean. But you still live in this world. So guess what? From time to time, your feet are still going to get a little dirty. Still going to be a little dust as you've got to walk in this world. Still going to be a little bit that you collect on you that shouldn't be there. Your life will still get a little dirty. But when that happens... You can confess your sin to me, and you better be sure I will cleanse you from that unrighteousness. Listen, Peter had been made clean through his trust in Jesus, but there were still days he needed his feet to be washed. Friends, that's probably some of us in this room this morning. I bet there's a whole lot of believers in this room. You'd say, you know what? Jesus has certainly bathed me. I've been washed by the blood. You remember that phrase? But, Danny, I'll be honest with you, my feet are pretty dirty. I've went some places I shouldn't have went, done some things I shouldn't have done. I've said some things, thought some things. Danny, I I know that I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven when I die, but I'll be honest with you. I sure haven't been living like it for the past few weeks. Well, friend, can I tell you something? It's never going to get better till you fall on your face and say, Jesus, I need you to wash my feet again. Jesus, I need you to cleanse my dirty heart again. Jesus, I need you to forgive me of some of my failures because I want to live my life For you. Friends, let me tell you something. Jesus shows us a couple of things about confessing that are important. Here's the first one we must ask for it. We must. Listen, you don't just magically get forgiven every time you make a mistake without confessing your sin to God. Think about confession as agreeing. When's the last time you agreed with God about the wretchedness that you've been hiding in your own life? Maybe today is a great moment for you to confess your sin before God. Matter of fact, Proverbs 28 says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will mercy. Friends, this altar this morning might be a place for you to find some mercy today. Maybe you need to take a few moments and you need to confess some sin before God and admit some of your failures so that the Lord can cleanse you. Also, there's something else about confession. It's that we must also forgive the sins of others, right? We got to ask Jesus to forgive us, but he has a little tag there, right? It's not just forgive me of my debts, but help me to forgive my debtors, right? Like you can't just be asking Jesus to forgive you, and then you're unwilling to forgive the guy who's right in the same boat that you are. No. He says if Christ has forgiven us, then we will forgive others. I love how Paul put it in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I want to show you this last thing though that's a part of this. It's what he says in verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We should seek God's help. Not just in forgiving our sins and forgiving this, seek God's help in staying away from sin in the future. Listen, we don't ask for forgiveness and confess and admit today just so we can turn around and wallow in it the next day. No, God, don't lead us into temptation. Don't let us go there anymore. Don't let our feet tread in that direction. No, deliver us from evil. When was the last time you admitted your sins to God and asked him to forgive you? Let me show you this last one, right? It's a model. Jesus shows us that obviously we should remember our praise to God. Obviously, we should make our requests known to the one who we're dependent on above every other. And certainly, we should admit our sins and ask him to forgive us. But also, listen, when we pray, we should remember to yield to God's will above our own. It's what we're after, right? It's what we're really wanting. God, not my will but yours. That sound familiar? Yeah, Jesus modeled that for us, didn't he? Is it always gonna be easy to follow God's will? Of course not. Is it always no? Is it always going to be the, the simplest? Nah, of course not. But it's always the best. And so with our old flesh and sinfulness, we got to ask God daily and help us, God, to yield to your will above our own. He says, look back at verse 10. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever thought about that? You know what's happening in heaven right now? The absolute reign of God the Father. You know what's happening in heaven right now? The perfect will of God happening every moment. Do you realize that when we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do you realize what we're asking for? We're asking for his perfect kingdom up there to rule right now. We're asking that perfect kingdom rule with Jesus as the perfect king. We're asking that not just for our world, but we're asking that in our own own hearts every day. We're asking that his will, his ways be done on this earth and in us. Now you say, Danny, how is that going to happen? Well, one day Jesus is going to return. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that. He's coming. Here's how. John puts it at the end of the story in Revelation twenty two twenty. 20. Listen to it. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus will return. And when he does, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And when he does, he will set up his kingdom here and he will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. That will happen. But until that day, we still pray your kingdom come, your will be done in, in us and on this earth as it is in heaven, right? We still pray that. You say, Danny, that's not, what do you mean? Well, here's what it means. I believe that God's kingdom is coming to earth each time a new soul is brought into the kingdom. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? When we pray your will be done, your kingdom come. When that's our prayer, here's what we're really asking. We're asking God, we want you to save every life person in the world. We want your kingdom to come and your will to be done as you save people. That's what we're praying. We're praying for the kingdom to come and in this sense we're praying for salvation of souls. But you know what else we're doing? God's kingdom is coming to earth through commitment as well. The desire of those already converted should be to respond to the rule of the Lord in their lives so that He rules in them as he rules in heaven. Can I just give you a picture of what that means? To pray for the kingdom to come is praying for the salvation of souls, but also praying for the kingdom to come is praying for the saints. That's what we mean when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're saying, God, save the masses and sanctify your followers so that not only you can save those who are lost, but you can use your people to bring your kingdom here in the way they live for you every single day. Hallelujah. Friends, what if, What if our prayer lives were like that? (laughs) What if our prayer lives were praising the only one who really deserves it? What if that constituted our prayers? What if our prayers were making requests of God, not because He's a genie and can grant our every wish. No, no, we're making requests of God because we're dependent on Him for everything. What if that's what our prayer lives look like? What if our prayer lives were us admitting How weak and feeble we really are, knowing that Jesus is the king of kings, and we confess and agree with him that our sinfulness is bad, and we want him to forgive us and use us. What if that's what our prayer lives were like? Friends, what if our prayer lives were us yielding to the will of God every moment of every day? What if our prayer lives were really seeking his kingdom to come and his will to be done? Can you imagine what it's like in heaven? Wouldn't it be awesome if we were praying for God to do that here? Of course it would that's what our prayer lives should look like listen I'm left with the same question that we've ended with every single week here it is how is your prayer life Listen, friends, Jesus makes no mention of where prayer should take place. He makes no mention of when prayer should take place. He makes no mention of specific attire or postures that should take place. No, listen, in any posture, in any attire, at any time, in any place, under any circumstance, prayer is appropriate. It should be a total way of life, an open and constant communion with God. So when Jesus said then, pray then like this, I don't think he meant for us to pray these words specifically in some kind of repetition. Now, if you do that, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I think he was giving us a model, and I wanna show you a little acrostic. Look at this on the screen. I think the model looks like this. I use the word pray to help me remember how we should pray to Jesus. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, I think these are the four components he teaches. Do you praise him when you pray? acknowledging Him as everything? Do you make requests of Him because you're dependent on Him for everything? Do you admit your sins before your perfect and loving and holy Father? Do you yield to His will and His ways? If not, I would suggest that you use this as a model. Why? Because, Danny, you're smart? No, No, it's because Jesus modeled this for us in Matthew 6. Don't listen to me. I'm an idiot. There was one giggle. I appreciate that. rest of you thought, no, you're not, Danny. You're awesome. I also appreciate that. So whoever that one was, I heard it. I'm just kidding. I am. I don't know anything. Jesus does. And he showed us the way to pray. And it looks like that. So let me just leave you with a couple of thoughts. You might be here this morning. You might not have a relationship with Jesus at all. You might say, Danny, I, I don't even, I, I, don't, I don't know much about Jesus. I don't, I don't really know what a relationship with him looks like. I, I certainly don't know how to pray. That might be you. Well, let me tell you something, friends. When Jesus modeled his prayer and he began with the phrase, our father, if you're here this morning, and you don't know Jesus, you can't even begin the prayer. You want to know why? You can't say our father to him because he's not your father. But can I give you some good news? He can be. Right now this morning, you know what you could decide to do? You could decide to pray and say, God, I want you to be my father. I want you to save me from my sin. You can today confess him as your Lord and savior and you can begin a relationship with the father that you can now start praying to. Hey, listen, if that's you, I'm gonna be in that lobby in just a few moments. I'd love for you to meet me back there. I'll take my Bible. I'll show you exactly what it means (laughs) to have God as your father. I'd love for you to begin a relationship with Jesus. But you know what I know is most likely, most of you know him and praise God, I'm thankful that's the case. So then you say, Danny, why are we reading a prayer we've read a hundred times? Why are we looking at something that I've memorized years ago when I was a little kid? Here's why, because are are we praying like that? Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, that should be what prayer looks like. It shouldn't be like a sailor who only uses the pumps when the water comes in, right? No, no, it should be like, no matter what, we're saying, Jesus, we need you. And he shows us exactly how to pray. And can I just tell you something? We're about to have the opportunity to do it. And so I wonder if you're here and you, know, you hadn't praised him in a while. Maybe you should take a few moments and do that. Maybe you haven't made any requests of him for your physical, spiritual. Maybe you haven't depended on him in a while. Hey, maybe you should this morning. Maybe for you, it's, it's more about sin and you've got a lot of unconfessed sin in your life. That might be you. Hey friend, this altar will be open. Matter of fact, you can turn your pew into an altar. You don't have to do anything. You can just close your eyes and pray right there with God. You don't need me, you need him. Maybe you need to take a few moments, admit your sin, confess it, ask him to forgive you. Maybe that needs to happen. Hey, maybe you need to yield your life to his will and his ways. I don't know what it looks like for you, but here's what I know. I could use more prayer in my life. And we have an opportunity to spend some time doing just that. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, you're awesome.